It's weird because this question, do ghosts exist, is simultaneously this bizarre fringe question, like that's a weird thing to even do a show about, and this core existential human question. There's a tendency for the mainstream to look at the search for ghosts as like this niche side project, but ghosts are also this fundamental expression of art. And people write songs and movies and books about ghosts, even if you don't believe that there are spirits out there haunting things, Everybody knows that the concept of a ghost teaches us something deep about ourselves. The whole thing also gets at our understanding of the universe. An actual ghost couldn't just exist. Everything else about reality has got this structure to it. There would have to be some consistent structure that allows for a ghost and not some outlying thing. Something that's like the other things we see in reality. But even back to the people having these experiences, how do we know they're not really seeing what they say they see? Can all these stories of hauntings and spirits really come with nothing behind them? Why is there this connection between the concept of ghosts and what it is to be a person? And all of this hinges on this central question. Could you actually exist? Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg in Life. Today we're going to be asking, do ghosts exist? Mm. My name is Curtis Childs, and you may have heard a ghostly hmm a second ago. That was my co-host, Dr. Jonathan Rose. Thanks hey so everybody. Much. Great to have you here, and I feel like we've got to establish, first of all, why would you spend this time mm. on ghosts? Why would you take a half hour of internet time and put it towards the investigation of ghosts? And, and career suicide, just like that. Yeah. <laughs> these, these two upstanding gentlemen who have little to no career right. are willing to risk that. For this, but yeah, I think it's impressive when you think. I about think it. it's well worth it because I think that there are good reasons to talk about ghosts, mm. and there are diverse categories of reasons to bring this up as a topic. First of all, people are having some kind of experience. People are going through something, and they want to talk about it. And it's not just people out in the world somewhere. These are people watching our show. We get in our comment section all the time. Mm. People will write in, take the time to say, "This is what happened to me. Can we please discuss this aspect of life?" Right, and. Throughout our culture, movies, songs, uh, all kinds of things, poetry, right. it's used as a framework for storytelling. And one of the things you notice is that uh, nobody, people may say ghosts don't exist. They don't say, what is a ghost? Exactly. It's mm -hmm. not just a report of some kind of individual experience. This is a literary tool. It's a storytelling device. Nobody is going to say, well, yeah, educate me on what a ghost is, first of all. Right. So we've got that, and, and I think that there are even enough reportings of ghosts throughout the, all these different mediums that you could go down a list of, like, what are the primary characteristics oh, that's of a ghost. And this yeah, is yeah, sort of right. synthesized from all, the, all of the above, but we know that ghosts can affect physical things. There's some kind of spirit, but they can, you know, make the lights flicker. They can make a candle flame. You feel flame. a breeze as, you know, something walks by or it makes you shiver yes, or something. Exactly. Like that. But also, ghosts are stuck. Mm. This could be there's a ghost that's tied to a particular house or even to a particular object. Yeah, you, you even see down it. to the object level. That's right. There's a, mm. Maybe in a movie there's a particular urn that's haunted or something. But ghosts are stuck in another way as well. They're stuck on a certain issue. If you so, like, oh, like if, an episode or something like yes, 
how they died or right. unrequited love or something like that. That's right. So they're, they're somehow stuck there. This is, this is something that you find across time and across culture. People mm. are reporting these things about ghosts. So we've got to investigate it, but I would even say let's, let's make a further distinction here. Okay. We're talking about ghosts as people use the term and as people understand it, not a visit from a loved one. Like let's say oh, okay. your grandmother passes away and the night that she does, you see her at the foot of the bed. She okay, says, I love right. you. Nobody says, I saw a ghost. I saw a ghost. No, you wouldn't use that term for that. Yeah. That's we know, right. So this is just pop understanding. We know there's a distinction there. But even taking that out of the equation, there are there's so much material and so much activity around ghosts that I, we've got to take a look at it and see what does it mean to the, the whole human story. Mm. And there's when we're approaching this material, there's generally like two extreme poles you can be coming from. And I think that both Two of those... Two positions kind of thing. That's yeah, right. Yeah, right. And right. both of those positions, though, they have some issues. And I think we've got to hash those issues yeah, out okay. right now. All right? So the first position is that ghosts exist. So here's the problem with asserting that ghosts exist. You're completely subverting physical order. I mean, we look at the universe, we study it, everything has a system to it, it has a structure, a logic, but ghost stuff is really, really human-centric. Like you say, I'm in this house as a ghost because I died here, or because I loved this house mm. or something. Well, I, Curtis Childs, the person, loved vacationing in St. John, but it doesn't mean I'm still there. I had to leave because of money mm. and time and space. So everything else in the physical universe doesn't cater to the ideas and thoughts and whims of human beings. So why do ghosts play by a different set of rules? Yeah, and on the other side, the idea that ghosts can't exist also has major problems to it because you have millions of stories across all kinds of different cultures, across centuries of time. And okay, this one may have been lying and this one may have been hallucinating or something, but to get rid of 100% of that, what would be the incentive for 100% of those people to lie about those experiences? It's not even, you know, a, like it's not like you get wealth or fame for having a ghost story or something, you know? And beyond that, it's even the whole category of open-minded inquiry that gets trashed here because if you're rejecting this out of hand before you even hear the first word about it, la la la, I don't want to hear it, you've gotten rid of a whole category of just, hey, let's open-mindedly try to figure out what's going on in reality. So there are problems on both sides. So both of these extremes have issues with them. So can we find something that works in the middle? Something that doesn't reject personal experience but doesn't reject empirical observation. How do we get something that really mm. works? And I think to get there, we've got to answer these questions. First of all, do ghosts exist? And we got to punt this question. It's not like we have some new footage that proves for sure <laughs> ghosts exist. This is not what the show is about. What we can do, though, is look at how could ghosts exist. Oh, What's that's a framework that could work. Why are they the way that they are? And why would this matter to anyone except a ghost hunter or somebody who's had an experience? So how should we approach those questions? Well, I'll, I'll take the first one right now. So the first question that we thought we could actually tackle on this show was how could ghosts exist? And to answer this question, we got to be able to lay out some kind of satisfying mechanism that explains why are there these two categories of beings in the first place? Because there really, there really is a separation there. The difference between a person and a ghost is not like the difference between a person and a stingray. If you say, I saw a ghost, it was in the attic, people might say, that's scary, but they never say, 
Well, what's the ghost eating up there? Is it going to get too cold tonight? The low is supposed to go to 28. Because we know that ghosts are operating by a different set of rules than us physical organisms are, and we, we want to know why. Why are there these two different categories of beings? And according to Swedenborg, you have these two different categories of beings because there are these two major planes of existence. And Swedenborg called them the spiritual world and the physical world. And these are the, the, the theater in which all of reality takes place. So life is flowing from God through the spiritual world into the physical world, and that's what makes everything here alive. The life that we experience around us, and even just the sustenance of elements and things like that, that's made possible by this mechanism of the divine going into the world. And the spiritual world is actually where the causes of all things exist and subsist, the source and origin of life itself. Spiritual substance, according to Swedenborg, is love and wisdom. We have physical substance here, but as you know, because there's a difference between a horse and a mop, it doesn't necessarily mean that because there's matter in something that it's alive, whereas spiritual matter is life itself. But here physically, you have to have this spiritual life coming in and animating something to make it alive. So, but it's not just like physical substance is this major downgrade from spiritual substance, because physical substance has these qualities that make it perfectly suited to being the sort of outer shell of reality, which is that physical substance is enduring and it provides stability. And this is part of the intent of the divine to create this sort of functional whole. But the spiritual world and the physical world are entirely distinct from each other. They're not, they're not a spectrum you can get from one into the other. And they're united to each other though, through correspondences. So what that means is that you can't be driving down a highway in the spiritual world and if you just go far enough, you go past all the exits, you end up in the physical world. It's not contiguous in that way. However, there is this intimate connection between the two worlds all the time through what are called correspondences. And what that means in brief is the essence or the soul of everything that we experience around us here in the physical world is actually up in the spiritual world. We might think, oh, the, the realist, like a squirrel, as a squirrel sh really should be, is here in this world. You might have some spirity copy of it in the, in the spiritual world. According to Swedenborg, the, the essence, the character, the, the ideal form of a squirrel is up in the spiritual world, and what we see here is actually the, the more sort of cartoony copy of it. So the thing that unites the spiritual version of something and the physical version of something is that they play the same role in their respective worlds. Take, let's take water for an example, since that sounds a little bit esoteric. We all know the experience of the substance of water. We know what it's like to interact with water, and we know our relationship to water. We know what it's like to need water to survive and the importance in our own lives of this substance. So water corresponds to truth. So everything that water does here physically, truth is doing spiritually. And so we can take our knowledge about the way that physical water is and use that as a basis for understanding the role of truth in the spiritual world. We still experience water in the spiritual world, the thing that the world looks a lot like this world we're in, but water there isn't just molecules, it's this living embodiment of truth. And as our minds grow more and more open and higher and higher, we continue to see water more and more as this, this embodiment or this rendering of truth. You can also think about the spirit and the body, that we are this joining of the worlds right now because we experience ourselves as both a spirit, which would be the conscious part of you, and the body, which is the physical part that has all these, that lets us react to stimuli in the physical world. But 
we can't separate those two. Our experience right now is very much body and spirit at the same time. However, the matter that makes up our body, it drifts away when we die. We don't have to have it anymore, but we're still us after the transition. So we're all in this dynamic between the physical world and the spiritual world, and these two worlds are so intimately united to each other that we really, to exist, we not only are living in a portion of these two worlds, but we depend on this balance between them. We exist, every single one of us, as a link between the worlds. It's not just that we each have a spirit already in the spiritual world that lives in our physical body, but we depend on all the spirits in the spiritual world, and they depend on all of us. We each are critical to the whole. We are so united to the spirits, both angels and hellish spirits, that if they were taken away from us for even a moment, we would fall down dead. Neither could the angels and hellish spirits continue to exist if we were taken away from them. This interdependence remains when we transition from the earthly world to the spiritual world, which happens when we die. At that point, as a spirit, we no longer depend on our individual base, which was our physical body, but on a communal base, which is humankind. Okay, so I got it. The, the spiritual world, the physical world are not just casually related, but they're, they're crucially intertwined. Like if the spiritual world takes off, we're gonna have a weird day. But how do we get from that to sitting here and hanging out with this plant? So first we have to pay attention to what is really going on physically with the plant. Okay. And we notice, you know, there's soil, there's the roots that are in the soil, and then we have the upper half of the plant that mm -hmm. has leaves and the stems and branches and it would flower and fruit. The roots need the soil, obviously, for their life and nutrients, and then that serves the upper part of the plant. But also the soil needs the plant or else the soil would erode. And when you care well for the upper half of the plant, it is actually helping the roots live well, and then the roots are serving the upper half. So from that, we can learn something spiritual, right? So, yeah. But how, how would you go from the, the form of it to something spiritual? For example, I know that the spiritual and physical are supposed to connect in people. Is this showing us anything about that? Yeah. So in a person, you can think of the soil as our physical body. You might just think, oh, the roots are the physical body and our spirit is the plant that's above ground. But really, the soil is the physical substance, like our body, and the roots are the lowest level of our mind. And then the plant above ground are the higher levels of our mind. Swedenborg says how the lowest level of our mind is built in an image of this world, and the higher levels are built in an image of heaven. And so in a similar way in this plant, the roots are designed to interact with the soil and support the plant in that way. And above ground, the leaves and everything are designed to interact with the atmosphere and sunlight and support the plant that way. Those levels, they need that soil, obviously. The roots are designed for soil. They wouldn't do well out, out of the soil. And once the plant, the tree grows above ground, it still needs the roots. It needs some sort of a rooting into that soil. And when we're alive in this world, that's our physical body. Correspondentially, this fits in with that thing we were talking about earlier this episode, that when we die, even though we're no longer grounded in a physical body, we still need the people living in the physical world as sort of this collective right. communal base for our spiritual life. They need each other and they're really interdependent because it's not like the two worlds just sit on top of each other like pancakes. There's this cross going on where the roots are feathered out into the soil and then the plant is growing above ground. And those two things, it always has to be that way, even if 
you, even if as a spirit, you no longer have your physical body on earth, there's still that groundedness in the soil. And I think we got to say thanks to this plant for giving us such a clear picture that this is an abstract concept, but we got like the cheat sheet to it right here. Even we depend on the spirits and the spiritual world doing their work, you know, being the good people that they are. And then they depend on us being the positive, you know, nutrients in the soil that can be helping the whole really function well. So Swedenborg said that these two worlds, the physical and the spiritual, are interacting all the time. There's this constant interface between them. But the phenomenon of ghosts that we're talking about here is so infrequent that we can sit here and, and argue for a whole show about whether or not ghosts exist. So why? Which I think is just a subset. Me asking that is a subset of this larger question that we posed in the beginning, which is why are ghosts the way that they are? And Swedenborg seems to give some insight into that through some data gathering he did in the early parts of his spiritual awakening. So just as he learned that there are different levels of existence in the afterlife, he also learned that there are different levels of spiritual substance. And these levels of substance can possibly explain some of these characteristics that we have with ghosts and why they pop up. For example, we talked about in a pop sort of understanding of ghosts, Ghosts can affect physical things. There's there's ways that they seem to be able to cross a barrier to to have an influence on the physical world. And in the early stages of his ability to interact with spirits, Swedenborg was observing things that were happening, but he didn't know, yet have a why. He didn't understand what was making the things happen the way they did. He wrote about it in his Journal of Spiritual Experiences. He said, "Spirit is likened to wind in John 3:8, and consequently." The spirits present with me at this day, many and most of the times have come with a wind, which stroked my face. Indeed, even moved the flame of the candle, the papers, the wind was cold, and this very often when I was raising my right arm. So it's just all these strange data points that he's got, but he doesn't know how to put the picture together. This surprised me, and I do not yet know the reason for it. So, scientist that he was, Swedenborg decided to record these different data points and come up with categories of the different ways that spirits could affect his body. He wrote further, From time to time I have observed, as discussed elsewhere, that spirits produced an effect on my body that was completely perceptible to every sense, just like objects outside of me. So he's surprised that these spiritual things can affect me the same way that material, physical things do. And he came up with these categories of impact that the spiritual was able to have on the physical. He said spirits were able to spread odors that he could smell. Some of them were pleasant and some like really not. So he also said that they could cause pain in his body. They could mess with a the thermostat. He says they could cause extreme heat or they could cause cold, more often cold than heat, he wrote. He also said that they could cause a breeze that would actually move stuff that they could make a candle flame flicker or move papers. And based on all this, Swedenborg came to conclude in his journal of spiritual experiences that there can be no doubt that spirits are organic substances and not just thought as some like to conceive of them. Spirits in the physical body or spirits separated from the body are real substances. Meaning we toss around the idea a lot that we have a spirit in a body, right? But that spirit is not just an idea or an emanation. It's a spiritual 
construct. It has spiritual substance, like we mentioned earlier, love and wisdom are spiritual substance, and any spirits who are now in the afterlife have substance as well. So when Swedenborg was seeing spirits or hearing spirits, it was the the spiritual substance in his spirit, follow me, there's a lot of spirits in a row here, the spiritual substance in his spirit interacting with the spiritual substance in their spirit. So it was two things interacting with each other just on a different plane. But when you had spirits able to affect his body and things in the physical world around him, he was learning that there are some spirits that are on a low enough level spiritually that somehow they are able to bridge that gap, that they're able to affect the substance in the physical world based on their substance in the spiritual world. So you have spirits that are made of substance, and something that's made of substance has got to have some place to exist in. And to take a look at that place, we're going to kick it back over to Dr. Jonathan Rose. Thanks, Curtis. So now let's look at another characteristic that we mentioned earlier in this show, stuckness. The fact that ghosts seem to be somehow stuck in a certain location or stuck connected to a particular object. How would that work? Aren't the two worlds separate? We see a hint about this in the Bible story where Jesus goes to someone who has a legion of spirits in him, and when he casts those spirits out, they ask to be sent into this herd of swine as if they needed to be anchored to something in the world, and if it wasn't that person, then it needed to be those pigs. Very strange. Uh, Some people might think that your spirit is something so evanescent like a vapor that when you die it flies off and you become the universe or the air and the wind or something like that. Swedenborg emphasizes that no, our spirit has a home base. We're in a particular place and for the while that we're here in this world, our home base is this physical body that we inhabit. Here's spiritual experiences two, three, six, seven. No one who wishes to be discerning can deny that the spirit, because it is in a body, is a substance and in a place. That's key, isn't it? It's not outside of the person, but in the person's body. Even if thought from the spirit goes out beyond the person, having effects even far off, such as speech, light, sight, which therefore cannot be said to be in a place, but from the spirit, which is in a place. And this applies even if we're having out-of-body travel, if we're thinking of things that are far away or looking out in the universe, we're still anchored in one particular spot in our body. Swedenborg observed that some spirits are attached to things other than bodies, like spirits who have passed on into the other life and don't have a physical body anymore, can be attached to things that are still here in this physical world because that's what they had paid the most attention to in their life. So he says this, in Spiritual Experiences 3608, the mental imagery of certain spirits is bound to a place and things that are in a place. Swedenborg gave a couple of examples from his own experience that when he would write in a certain room for a length of time, one day he decided to switch to a different room and he felt this strange calm and quiet all around him because the usual crowd of spirits that was around him was gone he realized it was because they were attached to his mental images of objects that were in the first room, books, utensils, and so on. So when Swedenborg left that room, they felt confused as to where they were and seemed to disappear from around him. The same thing even happened when he would change his clothes. So what he was learning was this. Places and material things serve these spirits as fulcrums, so to speak, on which they rest. 
amazing. But how then does a spirit get stuck in a particular situation like that? Isn't thought a means of travel in the afterlife? Couldn't they just think themselves unstuck? Well, how that seems to work is this. Spirits and angels, Swedenborg learned, definitely have a particular home base, and that home base is centered around what they care about the most, what they think about all the time. So, if a particular spirit thinks and focuses a lot on material things, no matter how their mind may go here or there, they are anchored in that particular thing. They're stuck there. We talked about this some more in a show we did called How to Travel in the Afterlife. So when spirits have a focus on material things, that explains their attachment to these earthly places and things. And now, friends, let's hear some ghost stories. Swedenborg experienced a lot of stuff that would qualify as ghost stories, but he was learning something as he went through each of them. So kids, out of the room. This is gonna be a scary story, but notice that Swedenborg's higher mind during this is able to recognize that he's being protected even as his lower self is feeling fear. Evil spirits were maliciously trying to frighten me in my bed. They invaded all my joints and tissues, striking me with such a trembling that I felt as if the souls of the dead were taking complete possession of me and really frightening me, claiming that they had died or been killed in that place and charging me to withdraw and go elsewhere. I saw dreadful apparitions speaking with me about all this. Nevertheless, in that frightened state, I was safe and did not fear anything. This actual trembling pervading all my tissues, I'm unable to describe because it comes from evil spirits. At times, I've experienced it so strongly that anyone going through this would think he or she was being possessed by demons. We don't know whether or not those spirits actually died there. Swedenborg found out that spirits, especially evil-ish spirits, like to lie about stuff. And it seemed like they were just trying to freak them out. So we don't know. Is that really their death place or are they just using that as a tool to mess with them? But in this next story, Swedenborg describes how stressful it can be for spirits who have become focused on physical things. A striking example was the case of two small snow-white pots that were used at tea time. Several times I saw that certain spirits wanted the first little pot to be used, while others wanted the second, and I perceived a kind of dispute was going on, and that there were some childish ones who prized the second one as more beautiful and elegant. The first group of spirits pressed me to reject this more beautiful and elegant pot, and while I was being held in that idea, the childish ones, becoming indignant, wanted to withdraw. But to prevent this, it was suggested by still other spirits that I should break the first pot. And while I was being held in that idea, the first group of spirits began to be afraid and to grieve, coming to me and beseeching me not to do this. From their fear and grief, I realized that their mental imagery was anchored in it and that they could not be present if that pot were taken away. This shows how the mental imagery of spirits is grounded in material things. And I perceived that it was like their foot, which they imagined they would lose if this pot were taken away. 
Pretty nuts, right? So you can add Swedenborg to the list of people who saw ghosts, but he also gives us this fascinating look into how ghosts fit in a broader context and why they act the way that they do. So now we get to the part in the show where we've got to answer this question that we asked before, which is why does any of this matter? And we spent this episode asking, do ghosts exist? And that's, yeah, that's a relevant question if you're interested in ghosts and whether or not they're, they're around, but there's an angle you can take on this that makes it relevant to all of us anytime in our lives. And to get there, all you gotta do is flip from asking, do ghosts exist, to when are we the ghosts that we're looking for? So you remember earlier in this show, we were looking at this plant and we learned from it that reality is like a hologram. So anything you learn from one of the parts can be applied to other parts of the puzzle as well. So when we're learning all this big picture stuff about spirits and ghosts and how they work, we're learning something about ourselves as well. So we've got to look into the mindset that creates ghosts in the first place. It's kind of this pop culture thing to say ghosts want to come back into the world. But Swedenborg says that he encountered the same thing. There are many spirits who want to come back into the world. Those who have loved worldly, earthly things and shuddered at the notion of a life after death because they would then lose all the enjoyment of life become spirits like this. He even says that there are worldly focused spirits that are invisible to other spirits because what they think about and focus on pulls them so low in the spiritual world. But what do we mean by worldly focused? Don't think of it as, oh, I love the world. I love the Grand Canyon and Raja Ampat. Now, superficial is a good way to think about it. Essentially obsessed with limited temporal things, lower stuff. In its sinister sense, this could be stuff like loving eminence or loving power or status or any kind of way of being better than someone else. But even just becoming attached to something that's temporary or isn't really a big deal in the grand scheme of things. So that's the ghost mindset. But while we're all out here physically living our life, our spirits are in the spiritual world at the same time. So everything that applies to spirits can apply to us right now. And if we're saying that ghosts are spirits that have gotten stuck in the way that they think or feel about things, do we have tendencies to be ghosts about things? Just the way that we are about stuff? So when everyone's hanging out and laughing and I'm just obsessed with what everyone else thinks about me, am I a ghost? Is my reputation my teapot? Like I think if anything happened to it, then, then I couldn't stand. And what if I'm looking at the world as something that I kind of want to suck the life out of? If I'm treating other people like they're disposable or I'm putting my own wants and needs above ethics or common decency, am I kind of haunting the world? So when I get stuck in the past or I'm too enamored with a particular outcome that I want for my life or if I'm just being too superficial to look for anything more than what's right in front of me, even if my body is moving around, is my spirit stuck? So if it is, then what's the antidote? Well, it's pretty much everything that Swedenborg says about what life actually is. That every moment is new, that it's just like an egg compared to the moment that's to come. That life is eternal and that, that life isn't random. And that divine providence is the best life management system that you could possibly be in. Overall, things are gonna be all right. We think about the nature of true peace and happiness and the idea that getting along, loving to help, loving to contribute leads to more happiness than any kind of worrying we do. I mean, that's what works. You think ghosts in pop culture usually have to be set free by something. You, you are avenged my death or you righted some wrong. So what sets our spirits free? Well, the truth 
uh, what life really is. The truth will set you free. Now that has a certain ring to it. It's a pretty good line, right? So I feel really good about this conversation we had and the way we could explore this topic. I do want to get a couple uh, points out of the way here at the end. First of okay. all, you get people commenting and everything that are concerned about, you know, are their loved ones trapped as ghosts because they, they know somebody who died in a mm. violent way or something. I would say it seems that Swedenborg indicates that it's not circumstances of death that cause this ghost-like no, phenomenon. No, it's what all, you right. love throughout your life. And just because you have some kind of spiritual experience where someone's telling you, I'm so-and-so and I'm stuck, doesn't mean they really are. Across the board, yeah. Swedenborg would say, spirits lie. I mean, there's all kinds of impersonation, deception. They're sneaky. Yeah. 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 Swedenborg ran into that a lot, didn't he? Mm -hmm. And there's also the point that really uh, there is no... It's not like you get stuck and then that's it. It's all over. Yeah. You fell through a cosmic crack and you know, you're know you stuck now forever. Uh, God and the whole system are always working to get you unstuck. What you're actually in yeah. is you're going through a process. You will absolutely come out the other end of that. So th there's no such thing as stuck. Yeah, divine providence is, is unceasing. But something else we didn't talk about really is, so we've talked about ghosts and how they are, but it, it, should we be trying to talk to them or not? Ooh, yeah, yeah. And that, it, It's yeah. The, the safety of whether to talk to spirits or not is something we actually did a whole show about. And we called it, is it safe to talk to spirits? And check that out because it's not a simple answer. Uh, as we said, deception, all this kind of stuff. So really, we can't give you, this is not intended to be medical advice, this show. This is just a description of that. Check out our other show for that. So thanks so much for, for hanging out and discussing this today. Great fun, Curtis. What we're looking for is a holistic explanation of all of life. One that could take personal experience and objective observation and see, is there a truth that they're both pointing at? Are you just a symbol or a storytelling device? Are you an aspect of human culture just because you illustrate something about us? Or are you actually a, like a real independent thing? And like you're, you're shaping the culture along with us. And what's true for you is actually a lesson about what's true for me. We know that reality has a structure to it, but is the physical universe just a part of that larger structure rather than being the whole thing? And are spirits and people and ghosts and angels all part of this big interdependent community? And as we start to understand these two different worlds better and see more how they talk to each other, could someday, you know, what you are and what I am talk to each other more clearly as well. Yeah, that'd be cool.